0: Sorry. Any time. This is the time for the children, the younger ones to go out. I remembered it. Almost. I almost remembered it. I sort of remembered it. Last week, I sort of remembered it. Next week, I'll try to remember it on my own. I uh, what? I uh, thank you. How come you can't name any? That's the problem. Isn't it? memory. Thank you Fred, appreciate that. So Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your children. We thank you that we know that our sins are forgiven. Not because of what we've done, but what you've done for us in the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we gather today as a people of hope. A people who know we have a great savior and that we can fully entrust ourselves to him. Father, we pray that as we finish off this series today on a very serious topic of dealing with the demonic, we would ask that you give us ears to hear. Give us understanding. Father, help me to be cautious in what I say, to be clear in what I say. And pray, Father, that what is said and what is done would be honoring to you. We thank you that you are a great and awesome God and that we fully trust ourselves to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came to Christ, I believe, when I was about 18 years old. I got saved about 150 times before that and anytime they put up the thing and said, do you want to go to hell? I said, no. Do you want to go to heaven? I raised my hand. But when I was 18, kind of like the end of coming through the end of sort of the hippie area era, I really think I did came at that point to a full understanding of the gospel and how grateful I was. And one of the men that had the biggest impact on me in terms of writing was a pipe-smoking Brit who happened to be in the... Uh, Uh, Oxford University Literature Department, and his name was Clive Staples Lewis. Now you know why he went by the name of C.S. Lewis. But really his books were very impactful for me, just like John Stott's books were very impactful for me at that time. And two of the books that had maybe the bigger impact on me was one of his best books, I think, was called Mere Christianity. Where I thought he did just a brilliant way of describing why, what we believe, why we believe it, and why it's significant. The other one that I found very significant was the one called problem, the problem of pain. Because even today, that's one of the hardest issues for people when we're trying to share the gospel with them. Because also often people say, well, how can you believe there's a good God when there's so much suffering going on, when people are dying, and look at the Holocaust, and look what's happened to America, and all that is true. And he did, I think, a very good job in that book called The Problem of Pain, written by a man who got to experience years and years of pain as he watched his wife slowly die and of course he wrote a number of books about that as well but the book that he wrote that was probably the strangest of all the books he's wrote is one that many of you've read before called the screw tape letters the screw tape letters is one of the strangest things that C.S. Lewis ever wrote and he recognized that it was a strange thing, and he, he talks about it. But what was important, what he tried to do there, is he, it was, in one sense, it was humorous. It was a story about a master demon who was trying to teach another guy, and they're, and they're trying to do it. And it gets really crazy. Some of it is funny, and then you turn right around that it's very, very serious. And what he's doing is he's trying to compare what's going on, and he talks about that. And he's he's saying, for example, screw tape is telling him you need to do this, and make sure that that guy doesn't go to church today, and, and trying to do all the things to keep him from coming to faith. And unfortunately, once he does come to faith, which is a huge disaster, if you remember, he's doing everything he can to keep him from being fruitful as a believer. And that book had a big impact on me, because it was really one of the first books I've read where you realize there really is a spiritual battle that's going on in the world. And I found that very, very helpful to me. And of course, one of the most famous quotes that came out of his writings dealing with the demonic is this, C.S. Lewis wrote and opposite errors into which our race can fall in about the devils. He used the word devils. We'd use the word demons today in America. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall into about the demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And they'll hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. It's a famous quote and a good quote. And his point is, you can get off the track either way. I don't believe in that stuff. Modern people don't believe in that. Danger. You can go the other thing. There's demons everywhere around me. Everywhere I go, there's demons around you. Probably not. And what he's trying to say is, be very careful. In either direction that you go, if you go too far you're going to find yourself in significant trouble. And if you were with us last week, you remember we talked about that a little bit, trying to find that balance in the Christian life, and particularly in this era when we're dealing with demonic. There particularly we need to be very, very careful. And I'll be honest this morning, my message is a little bit different than normally what you're used to. That You might say, well, that's great, that's encouraging. But no, I'll put it this way. A little bit different in its style because what I want to do is I I feel in one sense um, that I feel like what Ezekiel was In Ezekiel chapter 33, there's that famous passage where it's uh, God said to Ezekiel, As for you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. That idea of being on the walls, looking for the enemy. And I feel that sense in a sense too because I feel like God has called me to be a pastor. I love being a pastor. I love being a shepherd. Shepherds try to lead the sheep. The shepherds try to care for the sheep. and in this sense, I think the sheep, shepherds also have to protect the sheep. And, and, and it's in that sense that this message is about doing with, dealing with the demonic is I think we have to be very careful because I realize what I'm going to say could be offensive maybe to somebody or feel like it's sharp or too sharp. I understand that, but I think there's a sense of burden upon me about being honest where I think things are going. And to give you an example, what do we mean when people can, good people, people who love Christ, who love the church, when they go unbalanced, what does that look like? What can that impact be? And a bunch of illustrations I could use, but I wanted to bring it down to one example. One example of good people who love Christ, who are sincere in their love for God, and yet as I would understand the scriptures and see what's happening, they have moved away from where God would want them to be in terms of finding. I feel like they have lost that unperspective that God has given given them. Now, one of the things that's happening here is the struggles that we're starting to see in a lot of churches in American evangelicalism, part of it comes back to a growing biblical illiteracy. A growing biblical illiteracy. Again, 150 years ago, when I was in, you know, in Bible school and stuff, everybody carried their Bible. Of course, you had. You can go to a lot of churches now. Nobody has the Bible, or if they have it, somebody reads it on the screen. Well, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But what we're finding in American churches today is biblical illiteracy is on the rise. Fewer and fewer people really know the Scriptures or are studying the Scriptures and this is now starting to have some really negative impacts on people and particularly impact upon the church and what we're seeing now is it's really coming to roost here in america because these people do not know what's going on and so it's really really dangerous what i want to talk about these people that i'm going to be talking about this group that's important and very powerful these people are not morons okay they're not stupid people, they're articulate, they're doctors and Indian chiefs and the whole deal. I'm not talking about fringe people, we're talking about good people who love Jesus. And people I'm sure who love Jesus more than I do and more than I ever will and we thank God for that. But part of the thing and part of the Christian life is finding that perspective. And what I'm arguing this morning is saying, I think what's happening, we're seeing groups that have lost that perspective who have lost that balance. And so this morning, I want to be real clear what we're doing, why I think this is important. I'm not trying to diss anybody's ministry. I'm not trying to put down any person. I'm trying to just give an example of what happens when I think people go too far in a certain direction. Because what we find is we have some people who are getting themselves into area, particularly with the mnemonic, that I think is not only dangerous for them, but is dangerous for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you one example of people I'm talking about. These are good people, Christ-loving people, people who really want to serve the Lord. And in fact, this one of these, I don't even call it a ministry because it's so amorphous, it's hard to define it at times. But in this evangelical portion of this ministry, what you find is people talk about, they use an acronym, the acronym is S L S W. S L S W. SLSW, SLSW, now, if you think that stands for sustainable living in southern Saskatchewan, you're wrong. Okay. I wish it was about sustainable living. And by the way, I was looking for an illustration of this, and this is actually a thing called sustainable living in southern Saskatchewan. I wouldn't want to be there in the wintertime, that's for sure. But SLSW stands for, and here's the four key words, strategic level spiritual Warfare. Let me say that one more time, strategic level spiritual warfare. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, I don't know if you've read books or commentaries or things about it, but this is a major movement in America today among evangelical Christians. It's a movement that was really, in many ways, birthed, nurtured, and developed by a very good guy, a guy named C. Peter Wagner. Many of you have heard of him, he's a famous guy who works in terms of missions. He's done a terrific job of working with missionaries, helping them. He's a very popular, he's a well-regarded missions writer. And I'm sure he loves the Lord, and I know he believes the Lord, and he's doing everything he can. He thinks that he's doing everything that God would want him to do. Now, saying all that does not necessarily mean that everything he does or says is right. And here's the part where I'm sorry if I come across as being a little bit too um, curt, maybe. I just think it's a time when you have to speak up and say, I really think this is a problem and this is a danger. And here's what I mean. This, um, Pete Wagner is a great guy. Many people have been very impacted by his writing. But the group of people he has with him, they're particularly moving this group, when we talk about strategic level spiritual warfare, it's an, it's an interesting group. One of the major guys that's with it is one that many of you were familiar with, John Dawson. He's the leader for many years of Youth with a Mission, YWAM they call it. He's a big part of it. Another one who's a big part of it is Cindy Jacobs. If you go on YouTube, she's on there all the time. Uh, she's a self-proclaimed prophetess who says she gets directs from the Lord all the things that God tells her to do. The fact that she's wrong most of the time doesn't seem to bother her at all. She just keeps right on going. Another one is an interesting one that many of us here in Dallas who've been around Dallas know, and that's Larry Lee. Remember remember Larry Lee and Church on the Rock? And it was a huge, powerful church until he imploded and so did the ministry. Uh, interesting how things happen. His son is now an EFCA pastor in Rockwall where his father used to be, and he's very different than his dad, as you can imagine. But he's a big part of it. Larry Lee's been a big part of this movie um, movement as well. These groups are leaders of what we call strategic level spiritual warfare. And let me define a little bit what they mean of it. At the core of this teaching is the idea, the very biblical idea, that we are in a battle. The battle against evil, against Satan and stuff. And Christ, of course, is the one that we're doing. This. So, I mean, how can you be against that? We're all against that. Okay, what's important here to recognize, though, is that they teach, there's, you have come to, to deal with the demonic, and they have, like, talk about three different levels. Let me go through what those are. First part, number one, they talk about trying to discern the territorial spirits who live in a particular area. So what this group will often do is they'll go, and they'll pray, and they'll talk about this and that, and they'll try to find out. What is the name of the demon who maybe is living in this area? And is there more than one, who are they? Uh, They're often sometimes referred to ground level demons. This is like the most lower level among the three. Uh, and they try to discern what's going on. The second one takes you another level. These are like more difficult demons, people who are working in the occult and people that are involved in things like that. And one of the things that they're big in a thing called identificational repentance. This is where they go to places and they pray for repentance for the people who did the sins 150 years ago or a hundred, a 1, thousand years ago. And this has gotten rather odd. There, this has become very big. They take tour groups to Europe and they walk along where the Crusaders were, and they do what we call territorial um, work and trying to. Uh, to ask for forgiveness for what the Crusaders did. And they go through all these elaborate deals. They have sometimes a thousand people walking south the Crusader trail terror- and trying to call out all the demons who've been there over those thousand years. And so it gets weirder. The third group and the most difficult, this one is to call aggressive warfare prayer. This is the most difficult. This one you're in the high levels where you're reaching really some of the most difficult demons of them all. Now, let me stop real quick. If you're sitting there thinking, you know, I don't remember hearing anything about this in the Bible, ding, 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 you're doing really well. Because none of that that they're talking about is in the Bible. We talk about scriptures, but we stand on Christ, the solid rock, the scriptures that he's given us, the word. None of that which I just described is ever mentioned in the New Testament. That is a problem, and this is a real problem because some groups are jumping under, some mission groups that have jumped onto this, some of them are now really big into it, saying that we're going to have a massive conference and we're going to do this, and you know, have a thousand people come out and it's a big deal. And you know, the problem is, it becomes more and more out of control. Let me give you one example of many. Let me read a passage from a book. By the way, this is a very good book called Crucial Questions About Spiritual Warfare by Clinton Arnold. He's a guy from Talbot. Um, he's in many ways very open to some of the things you're doing. He's also very concerned about some of the things that are happening that probably are not right. But let me give you an example of one of their conferences. One of their conferences was a big one they had down in Argentina. And the guy who was in charge, you may have heard of him, his name is Victor Lorenzo. And he was involved in level three aggressive warfare prayer against the ruling powers in Residencia, Argentina. And so here's what it said. It was led by Cindy Jacobs, right there. I gotta, Never mind. Cindy Jacobs and a group of trained intercessors. And here's how they described the event. We battled fiercely against the invisible powers over the city for four hours. We attacked them in what we sensed was their hierarchical order. From bottom to top, first came Bombero, then Cupere, then San La Muerte, then the spirit of Freemasonry, then the Queen of Heaven, and then the Python spirit, whom we suspected functioned as the coordinator of all the forces of evil in this city. When we finished, an almost tangible sense of peace and freedom swept over all who had participated. Okay, once again, you ask the question, where in the Bible do you hear about any of that stuff? You don't hear any of that in the Bible. And you ask them, well, how did you get the names of the people? Well, the Spirit just made them came clear to us. Okay? And the Spirit told you that was the names? Yep. Well, is there any way you can validate that? No. It's not like they come up and they have a little thing saying, hi, I'm sombero, you know, the Python guy. Okay? So it's it's one of the things when someone says the spirit called me to do, I mean, and this is what it is, I mean, what are you gonna say about it? See, in other words, what's going on and what we're seeing is that this is becoming a major movement that's really having a big impact. One of their big things is that they do is territorial mapping. That's where they go to an area, like they did in Argentina. And they would try to sense, where is the areas where maybe this, this major demon controlled the area? And we have to take the minions, the small ones, out. And then we can get to him. And as soon as we get those guys out of here, there's going to be massive people coming to Christ. Peter Wagner, for example, one of the times after a meeting, said they broke down the fortresses. And he said 20,000 Japanese people were going to come to Christ that year, as far as we know. None of them came to Christ that year. It doesn't matter. It was, you still just keep right on rolling, okay? And what they do is they come to ancient sites and they pray down the demons that are there and praying that God would help them. Now, this got to the point that the Lausanne Conference, this is the thing that they have like every 10 years, they themselves had a special time with these people and said, we're really concerned. We feel like some of this is getting a little strange. A little weird, and the whole territorial mapping, the, the whole this and that. The, uh, where, where, where do you see this biblically, biblically? But, you know, people get into it and say, "Hey, we're doing what the Lord's called us to do." And then again, you go to the question: but um, is, is any of this biblical? In this book that he had here that, that, uh, that I wanted to read one paragraph to you, listen to what he had to say. This is Clint Arnold. Uh, who, again, is very open to a lot of this. I mean, he loves a lot of the people who are involved in this. He said, talking about uh, discerning the people, naming the spirits, praying down the territorial spirits, he says this, of even greater significance for the issue confronting us is the fact that the Bible nowhere narrates, describes, or instruct us on how or even whether we are to engage with demons. He goes on to say, the silence of scripture on this issue of strategy is quite evident. When we consider that the New Testament records the spread of the gospel in pagan lands, and he gives examples, Syria, Asia Minor, Greece, and Italy, places where, evil, uh, excuse me, where idols and occultism held sway, it is very surprising to find no mention of strategy that stresses discerning, naming, or praying down to ter- territorial sp- uh, spirits. That's very important. What he's basically saying, these are lands where you would most expect to be territorial demons. And he says, there's nothing in the Bible about it. Not only that, what about the early church, where they were dealing with this kind of stuff? And this is what he writes. He said, this observation is made all the more conspicuous by the fact that none of the early church fathers mentions anything at all about discerning, naming, praying down territorial spirits. Well, they believed in the reality of demons, and they did lots of exorcism, but they did not have all the other things that they are talking about. Now, we have a lot from the early church fathers. They've written volumes of stuff to read. And here they are in a world filled with all kinds of anti-Christian kind of stuff. And they say, they never mention it. It's not an issue for them. See, what we're saying is here, we have something where we have the scripture tells us nothing about it, never encourages it. The early church fathers, the ones who were living through all this in those early centuries, they know nothing about it. They never thought they needed to do it. And yet they keep right on going. And if you ask them, can you just give me one passage that can help your cause, they'll go to one passage to turn to it with me, and that is Daniel chapter 10. Go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. When you get to Daniel, go to chapter 10. Now, let me be clear, the book of Daniel is a difficult one, and chapter 10 that we're on is a very difficult one. Let me give you, while you're turning, just kind of the big picture. Uh, Daniel's had this um, wonderful thing we learned about the 70 weeks that God was going to bring back the people from their time. Uh, and so chapter 10, I'm just reading verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a messenger was revealed to Daniel who was named Belshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message. And then he goes on to talk about this, and we'll pick this up. I'm jumping down at well, it talks about the big vision that he saw. In verse 10, suddenly, this is what Daniel's describing, a hand touched me and raised me to my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you're a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I've now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. From the first day that you proposed to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard. I've come because of your prayers, but, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I'd been there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to help you understand. Drop down, if you would, maybe to verse 18. Then one of the human likeness touched me and strengthened me. He said, don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. And he spoke to me and I, was sp- and I strengthened, let my Lord speak for I've remembered you. Now here's their two key verses, verse 20. He said, do you know why I've come to you? I must return at once to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I leave, the prince of Greece will come. No one has the courage to support me against them except Michael, your prince. However, I'll tell you what's recorded in the book of truth. Now in that passage, it's a, a little odd passage. It's a little strange. And it's talking about the fact that there is a power struggle going on. What's interesting, most New Testament scholars, when they talk about who is this person they're describing who's so powerful, they're thinking of Cambyses, the guy who came in and tried to take over in Persia. But they take it of no, this is all about strategic warfare. And you go, really? Yeah, it's all about strategic warfare. And you say, are you sure? I mean, this is the best you've got? Is right here? Yep, this is it. Well, here's the struggle. For one thing, the battle that was described here was fought in heaven, not on earth, the way they think about it. The battle didn't even involve human beings. Two angels and a demon were involved. The battle was directed by God in heaven and by Michael, not by men. Daniel was not even asked to bind the demon. Daniel was not even asked to pray. And you think, wait a minute, this is the best you've got? For a movement that is having such a big impact that is leading many people into what many people think is a dangerous area. This is the best biblical passage you've got, one that clearly doesn't even talk about what you're talking about? And the answer is, well that's what we believe it says, that's all you have to know about it. The Spirit told us. Okay, once again, how are you going to argue with the Spirit? And it is becoming dangerous. Let me give you two uh, things What's happening. It's having a big impact on people. Max Turner, who's vice president of London Bible College, said this, strategic level spiritual warfare seems uncomfortably closer to contemporary animism than to any biblical understanding of demonology. Do you see what he's saying? In the ancient world, even today in, in, you know, in in a lot of areas, animism is important. I want my spirit to be more important than that spirit because if I have him, I can control him or I can hurt him or I can make that person do something for me. And this guy's making the point to said, this sounds like, quote, Christian animism. Christians want nothing to do with animism. We, come, we, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the all-powerful one. And he said, this is getting increasingly difficult. It's very much like Christian animism. Chuck Lowe, who teaches at Singapore Bible College, put it this way. He said, strategic level spiritual warfare's negative consequences are numerous and serious. It induces guilt, it promotes self-doubt. It consumes enormous amount of money, time, and personnel. Again, they're shipping thousands of people different places to do these prayer walks. And some of these prayer walks are you know, very different. They're very nice, good. But some of them, they're spending a tremendous amount of money. People are going to different places, calling out demons and stuff. And he's saying, do we re- you realize how dangerous this is? It encourages missionaries to take time away from God-given duties in the vain hope of an easier but ultimately futile technique. That's a damning statement on his part. And he's saying, do you recognize the impact that this is having on people? And once again, what do you do when people say, well, the Spirit told me to do it? Many of you know Bob Coughlin. He's a writer. He's written a lot of beautiful songs, some of them that we sing. He wrote a book. Um, on about being a spirit-led, listen what he wrote. He said, our churches can't be spirit-led unless they're word-fed. Do you hear what he said? Our churches can't be spirit-led unless they're word-fed. That is a great statement. The spirit apart from the word of God is dangerous. Of course, it's the other way as well. It's when you have the combination of the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together that you're running on all eight cylinders. But when you're not, that's when a lot of trouble can happen. Let me read the paragraph. Our churches can't be Spirit-led unless they're Word-fed. A church that's dependent on the Spirit's power in its worship will be committed to the study Proclamation and application of God's Word in its personal and congregational worship. The Word and the Spirit were never meant to be separated. Look at that thought. The Word and the Spirit were never meant to be separated. In fact, God's Spirit is the one who inspired God's Word. God's Spirit and His Word go together. Turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 6, the per- passage we looked at briefly last week. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, if you go Philippians, you're going too far. Okay. Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, you've got this wonderful passage in verse 10. Be, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the tactics of the devil. This is a famous passage, and it's a good passage. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so you may be able to resist in the evil day and have prepared everything to take your stand. Now one thing to notice as we read this passage is none of this except for one among these kind of things that that God's given them here. Is, is, is at um, attacking. They're all defensive except for one. Therefore, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. Your feet sandaled with readiness to the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. That's really important. Again, you know, it was... In the Roman times, that was a heavy thing. It was, that said, it's important. Make sure you take your helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, and notice this next phrase, which is God's word. Now, what's important, what he's saying is that each one of these things he's described is not offensive, taking it to the devil. That's not our work. The one that comes closest where it says the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And even that, you can have a sword, but not be attacking his point is, Christ is the one who will do the judging. He is the one who will overthrow Satan. He does not need us to be walking through Europe calling down names of demons. Jesus is more than powerful to do what we cannot do. So it raises that question. Then why are people so drawn to this? You know, Maybe because... Sometimes people, church, seems so boring, you know. We do the same thing. We sing that and we do that. This sounds exciting, man. I'm going to take Pombero and beat the snot out of him. And, uh, you know, won't this be cool? Until you find out, it ain't too cool. When you really become in the presence of evil, no one wants to be there. It's not fun. And what's happening here in this passage, it's saying, listen, we need to be really careful what's happening God has given us, as we talk about putting on your armor, the things that we do so we can survive. Stand, stand, don't fall, don't fold. Stand there in the power that Christ gives you. He doesn't say, now you go take on Pombero over in Germany. Never asked us to do that. Never comes, never comes out. But it's happening here. The impact that it's having is massive. Churches are being split. Somebody goes to a conference, they come back. They're all hyped about it church blitz, and it's a real problem. And you know, the only person who seems to be winning in all that is Satan. He's sitting there shaking as I said, what are these people doing? I don't have to do anything. I don't have to attack them. They're doing all the work themselves. If all I have to do is keep them busy running around here and there, I am fine. And so we recognize This is an issue that's true and that's tough and important for us. Many of you know Jane Montgomery Boyce, he was pastor, first Baptist, I mean, first Baptist, first Presbyterian in Philadelphia. He said this listen to this quote. Boyce once said that the real battle in our times is not going to be inerrancy, which is a big one, or infallibility of Scripture. Now, notice this, but it's sufficiency. Are we going to rely on the Bible? Or will we continually long for other revelation? That is a very well stead statement. Are we going to rely on the Bible? That's the final thing that we just go with. Or are we going to continually long for other revelation? That's exactly what these groups are doing. Well, the Spirit told me to do it. Well, does it go with the Scripture? No. Is that not a problem for you? Let me close with this. John Wycliffe, this is a man who literally gave up his life so that people could have the Bible. Not just people who were rich or part of the clergy, but that people could have read the word of God for themselves. And of course, you know what happened. They caught him finally, and they cooked them, burned him to death. But listen what he wrote, and with this we'll close. John Wycliffe said this. The true Christian was intended by Christ to prove all things by the word of God. All churches, all ministers, all teaching, all preaching, all doctrines, all sermons, all writings, all opinions, all practices. These are his marching orders. Prove all by the word of God. Measure all by the measure of the Bible. Compare all with the standard of the Bible. Weigh all in the balances of the Bible. Examine all by the light of the Bible. Test all in the crucible of the Bible. That which cannot abide the fire of the Bible, reject, refuse, repudiate, and cast away. This is the flag which he nailed to the mast. May it never be lowered. And then they burned him. This ought to be something important for us to say. When it comes down to where the authority reigns, it's got to be the power of the Bible enabled by the Holy Spirit. Anything else other than that, we're going to go off the, tra- we're going to go off the track. And I just hope and pray that this church, however it is, what it is, and who's here and who's doing it, whoever the pastor is, that we would never get away from the Word of God. You never outgrow the Bible. It's always new. It's always fresh. And yet we live in a culture. Yeah, I've been there. I read it it twice. Yeah, that was 18 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, Maybe you ought to start reading it again. Because the Word and the Spirit together are powerful. And we shouldn't have to spend any of our time worrying about what this demon pombero is doing down in Argentina. We need to be thinking, what have you called us to do now to serve you, to share the good news, to help those that are struggling, to help people that need to know the gospel? This is what God is calling for us today. Our Father, we pray that you'd help us. We realize how easy it is for us to go off the track How easy it is for us to get caught up in things that seem exciting and wonderful. And Father, we realize that for us, the Word and the Spirit together are a powerful combination. That in your Word, we find what is true, what is not true, what we need to be, what we need to do. And so we pray that you would help us in that, we ask. Be with us now as we continue in our worship as we come to the Lord's table. May it be honoring to you as we remember the body and the blood and the life that we have because of him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.